The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, it's the .NET Rocks Visual Studio 2010 Road Trip with guest Dan Fernandez, recorded live in Los Angeles, California, Tuesday, April 20th, 2010. Carl and Richard are hitting 15 cities in three weeks, recording a new show every day. Follow them in real time online at .netrocks.com slash roadtrip. The .NET Rocks Visual Studio 2010 Road Trip is brought to you by a handful of sponsors, including the following gold sponsor, Telerik. Deliver more than expected online at www.telerik.com. Preemptive Solutions, powered by Runtime Intelligence, online at preemptive.com. And Redgate Software, ingeniously simple tools, online at red-gate.com. Special support is being provided by the Microsoft Visual Studio team, the Windows Phone 7 team, and the Bing team who developed the Road Trip Tracker application in Silverlight 4. And now, here's Carl and Richard interviewing Dan Fernandez in Los Angeles, California. Hey, Los Angeles! Welcome to .NET Rocks! There are 400,000 people in the audience. Who knew Los Angeles was so rambunctious? And and uh, uh, the traffic was horrible getting here, and yet we still managed to uh, a throng to get here. Yeah, and it went fairly well, and uh, very exciting to drive an RV in downtown Los Angeles. Well, it's more exciting to drive than it is to be a passenger, let me tell you. Oh, uh, yeah. Once we hit the sort of stop and go part, otherwise known as all of Los Angeles, uh, a whole bunch of people start getting real motion sick on the RV, because we had a, it's not just you and I, of course, Tom our driver, and then we had our, our ride-along winner from Mountain View, Eric uh, Zinko, who's here in the audience in Los Angeles. He gets to fly home tomorrow, and uh, we're going to get another ride-along winner here to go with us to San Diego. And just to, so you know, he did give us scotch before we picked him. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that the scotch was the reason that we picked him. All I'm saying is that is what happened. Those are the facts. <laughs> yeah, something like that. So, we are here with our friend Dan Fernandez. Hi, Dan. Hey, how's it going? Doing well. Uh, so, tell us, I mean, you've been on the show before, but just give us a brief uh, intro about yourself. What, what would I say I do here? Um, okay, so I've been a Microsoft employee for eight, eight plus years or so, and uh, done everything from, I was a developer evangelist in DC, was uh, the C Sharp product manager. Some people use C Sharp here. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, wow, my people. 
I, I love VB too. It's okay. Um, <laughs> just before they start running, um, J Sharp, not so much. Not so much. Um, uh, then uh, started a product called Visual Studio Express and yes. a, a family of products. Yes. And, Thank you uh, for that. Yes. Yes. And um, then I'm now on the Channel 9 team. Mm-hmm. So we do uh, videos, content, learning stuff, all that good stuff. We've been hanging out more lately since you've been involved with Channel 9, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We got a chance right. at the PDC. We did it an hour or so with, the, with your guys, which was hilarious. Yeah, doing Channel 9 Live. You guys, literally, it was just like, let's just start recording and see what happens. And see what happens. Think, and yeah. Turns out we basically just poke fun at each other for an hour. Well, it's always That's good when there's happened. like a bunch of RDs together. And yeah. it's just, uh, uh, Tim Huckabee had a great one too at the Visual Studio launch. So It's a guaranteed it, train wreck. We'll yes. make you laugh at least. Yes. We don't learn much, but we have fun. <laughs> That's exactly right. But I didn't realize till a while ago that you were involved with Visual Studio Express. I, that's an interesting story to me because it's a funny product. You know, it I, I feels like most of the time it's almost an orphan. I love it. And I, I do a lot of talks at high schools. And that's a place where I say, look, like, take these tools. They're completely free. Take them out for a spin. I usually take them and uh, show them in conjunction with Robotics Studio. Right, right. And that that seems to be the thing with uh, with Express is that you never it, it shows up all over the place, different different environments. Yeah, you know, um, the way it started is, is somewhere around 2003. We started looking at at what people were doing, and there was a this thing called Java Wars, and it was right. .NET versus Java, and everything was .NET versus Java, and all these object tiers. And Java that, one, right? No, 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 no. We destroy. No? We now refer to Java as legacy. Yeah, uh, nice. Before it was a four-letter word, but um. <laughs> so, so it was it was a battle, right? And one of the things we did was focus solely on professional developers. Enterprise development was the big, you know, buzzword, and we kind of forgot where Microsoft came from, which was we start with Visual Basic and. It was a way that you could approach and build your first application over a weekend. So you lie on your resume and say you have Visual Basic experience and then you download the product and, and play with the product and you can actually have Visual Basic experience in that 48 hour uh, uh, time frame and actually build an app. Right. So that guy that I hired that totally screwed up my project, it's your fault. Yes, yes. But it really is sort of about uh, democratizing development, right? So you shouldn't have to pay $800 to to build your first application, if you will. But isn't that where Microsoft came from in the first place? I mean, my first contact with Microsoft was level two basic in a Tirasati Model 1, circa 1979. And it was made by Microsoft, and it was for hobbyists, really. I mean, that's the machine we had at the time. And yeah. Apple had a, a Microsoft Basic. Uh, the Heathkit machine had Microsoft. I mean, they all had Microsoft Basics in them. All the hobbyists used Microsoft products right from the very beginning. I mean, I'm sure everyone has their own personal loving story of how they learned programming. Yeah. Mine was mine was using uh, uh, Basic as well on a command line doing yeah. the go to 10, you know, 10, go to print, print Dan. I used to go to Radio to go Shacks to and rewrite the demo programs to be like offensive. <laughs> so, you know, this little girl, you? little guy, would, little 12 year old kid would walk in. Hmm, what's your name? Bobby. You, Bobby, you know, yeah. go to 10, you know, <laughs> and then I just leave. Was, nice. Yeah, I had fun with that. No, base, quick basic was obviously yeah. the first real compiled language that I used on the PC. Yeah. And, I lo- and it was very, very popular. Yeah. So uh, you, just a quick side note. My, my, when I realized computers were big was um, <laughs> I was in a computer lab in high school 
And um, one of the things that I had done was found how to actually send text to the printers. So I did the 10, you know, um, and I guess it was like dash dash or, or greater than symbol LPT1 or right. something like that. And I got every single printer just printing like uh, just slurs towards like this guy that I didn't like in the classroom. <laughs> awesome. And the lady's just looking and there's three printers and they're all just like printing <laughs> and just just panicking. So she doesn't know who it was. It's me and this other kid get pulled into uh uh this room and our vice principal's there, like old school guy from New York. Like you could imagine him being like Frank Frank Sinatra's brother. And he's just like, Okay, which one you did it? It's like and um he looks at my friend and he's like, If you don't tell me who did this, you're both getting suspended. And and like my friend just immediately ratted me out. Just like it was him. It was him, it was him, it was him. He's like, All right, all right. He he tells my friend to leave, and he's like, listen, I want you to learn something really important today. Never rat on your friends. You're, <laughs> you're free to go. I, I got That's no, awesome. I was like, these computer things are going to be big, <laughs> and I'm never going to rat on my friends. So, so that's why I got into this, this, this crazy career. Oh, that's awesome. So what was, I mean, as long as we're getting back into it, what was the first program you remember writing that you were proud of? Um, so does everybody remember those old school books that you could get like basic programming and it was just like tons and tons of lines of code? It was probably one of those. It was, it was just typing them in. Yeah. Exactly. Adventure game or something like yeah, that. Yeah. It was like you ask three questions and hello, Dan, your yeah. favorite color is blue. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That. That kind of thing blew me away very and, early on. And then I started doing math equations, and I had a uh, – I forget what – it was um, one of those calculators, Texas Instrument Calculators, where I just started doing like homework equations on it where I was like instead of like memorizing B squared minus 4AC over 2A, I just did the entire program for it. So like I'm, I'm in, in you know in uh, math class that let you have these – Pretty advanced calculators. Because they didn't figure you could program them, right? Yeah, exactly right. So I'm not actually – I'm like, how did he finish his test in like 15 minutes where all I'm doing is punching in equations? That's, so. that's crazy. Yes. Yeah. So uh, what are you working on now at Channel 9? So uh, I think one of the big things in Channel 9 is we're, we're kind of looking at – one is how do you evolve events, right? Mm-hmm. And – uh, one of the big things we're doing is live coverage of events. So if you actually go to, um, you know, uh, these events like PDC and Mix, they maybe have 5,000 attendees. What we've done is provided live coverage of the events and we, we do like two days, eight hours. So it's like 16 total hours. So if you want to hear from Scott Guthrie, but you're not at Mix, you're, you know, flying and you guys are all, all over the place. Right. You can imagine rather than say not everyone can make that event, we get to, t- hit maybe 10x 20x as many people and you get to ask questions live to say scott guthrie and say hey you know why did you guys do this or what would you recommend for silverlight development or you know whatever your questions are you get to talk to the people actually building the products and you know we do that all for free and and the goal is to really give a an outlet a different outlet for people that can't make these events and you know we've had various versions of that over the over the years i think about the uh webcast that guys like Scott Guthrie have done where a few hundred people can watch and submit type questions in that sort of thing. Right. It seems like channel nine just broadened that. Like you said, are we literally talking a hundred thousand viewers at once? Yeah. Well, it obviously depends on the event and how you count. Cause one of the things we see is all our European customers will be with us say like early in the morning and then they're just gone. Cause yeah. they're not going to stay up till 3am. 
Um, but they'll do the they'll watch the video on demand where you get to hear like um, people that have questions on IE9. You get to hear from Dean Hakamovich mm. asking questions on on what's going to be supported for HTML5, even things that weren't covered in the keynote. So it ends up being like a, a good thing to watch, and everything's available on demand. So you can say skip ahead to the good parts or the parts that you only care about. I never really liked the whole webcast interface. When you're doing a webcast, it looks like this intimidating control panel full of knobs and tweaks and things, and things are happening so fast. Um, I really like a simple interface when I'm participating in a, in a webcast and also when I'm giving one. Are you guys doing anything software-wise to, yeah, to help so out with that? Our player is just a... Uh the thing we're optimizing for is is the video, right? So, like, when you go on, you don't have to install special software outside of Silverlight, I guess, that you should um, – and it uses live smooth streaming. So yeah. um, it can scale up and scale down if you have a crappy connection and stuff like that. But uh, in terms of kind of where else we could go, one of the things would be virtual training. So, like, right now you either have to find time to take a class. Um, it could just be really hard to, to – to get the right people, like the best experts. Wouldn't it be cool to learn, you know, ASP.NET from Scott Guthrie? I think that has all, cause I've been in training for a long time and I think that has always been a desirable thing because, you know, it'd be great if we couldn't travel, but the interface has always just been not good. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's always been a, a, you know, worse, a worse experience in people's expectations. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is you go to a website and you see something and then how do, like there's a number of other things you'd probably want on your wish list for a cool experience like, hey, where somebody can say have homework, if you will, or, you know, somebody has questions or you do office hours and, and you know, yeah, or you just simple interaction like, hey, I have a question. Can I get can you? Yeah. So right now our interaction is with Twitter. How many people here actually use Twitter? And how yeah. many people here hate Twitter? Yeah, so we're trying to do something for those that hate Twitter as well. So, like, you could have um, people that have used Ustream where you have, like, live chat um, basically already built in. So the Ustream interface is probably an easy one. Of course, you always have to do things like moderation and, and make sure, you know, people aren't using dirty words. Things that, you know, you would have <laughs> written on a Radio Shack PC. Yeah. yeah, we don't really care about that thing. I yeah. just noticed that a quarter of the room put up their hands liking Twitter. Yeah. And a quarter of the room put up their hands hating Twitter. And some of those were the same people. <laughs> and about half of them, did, you know, didn't react either way, which means I mean, maybe food coma, maybe... Uh, <laughs> maybe they, they're not on the Twitters. Yeah, or they're just like... What the Twitters. Is? Yeah. What is the Twitters? Yeah. But that's what I get every uh, morning when I wake up. Yeah, we've, we've integrated Twitter into <laughs> Is that what the, they're calling it? Yeah. <laughs> that's what that is. We've integrated Twitter into our road uh, trip app. And yeah. so you're seeing uh, tweets in line with uh, when where we were when someone sent a message. So we're sort of seeing this uh, this diary effect across uh, our journey, mm -hmm. although we're still at the early stages of it. I don't think that's necessarily the best interface, too, for getting a, a speaker's attention because, you know, you're talking, you're not reading. And we had this problem on .NET Rocks. We were doing a live stream and people were listening and we had a chat room. And stuff was, you know, things were just, and I can't do both at the same time. I can't yes. talk to the guests, I'll, I'll be talk engaged, about, and, about, and read these questions and feel them at the same time. It's absolutely impossible. So what yeah. we do is, is someone from our team, Larry Larson, basically looks at the question and yeah. puts them on a PowerPoint that's really large. So you only right. see, like, 
the top questions. And, and we've, done, we've done that and it worked out really well. Yeah. So that way you're not like, um, this guy said, oh, no, he said, you know, I hate right. you. OK, uh, these guys suck. No, right. we can ignore that. So, so somebody's got to be fielding those and presenting them to whoever's speaking. Absolutely. But, but I also Absolutely. like, you know, I think you and I do a good job at being host and co-host where where one person's having a conversation with the guest on a question uh, about one question. The next guy, the other host there is picking up the next question to ask. And so you can sort of get that rhythm. The guest never gets a break. We're just boom, 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 back and forth at you. But, yeah. you know, it's interesting that it needs a certain amount of filtering. But just that context of if I'm actually listening to your answer and responding to that, I can't have another question ready. It's just not possible. Yeah. So Visual Studio 2010. We yes. like it? Yeah. We like it? Yeah. We like it? Yeah. 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 That's what I'm talking about. What's your favorite absolute knock-dead killer feature here? Um, so I've, I've kind of... Grown very lovingly, adoringly uh, on uh, phone development. So, which isn't really a Visual Studio 2010 feature, um, but if I had to think about Visual Studio 2010 features, it's probably just the 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 WPF integration. And since you guys probably do a lot of presentations, just have the control plus to zoom in, zoom out yeah. instead of having the different settings file that you have to set. You know. Um, Dev and command line stuff. If you want to switch to presenter mode and mm-hmm. stuff like that, is probably mine. But uh, uh, Windows Phone development is just awesome, and uh, it's something that like I feel really re-energized. And this was actually funny in 2003. Our first slide of what would we imagine uh, Visual Studio Express being? We actually had a Windows Phone skew. Or it wasn't a Windows Phone. It was a Windows Mobile skew because we thought, hey, you know, what? we should empower people to build apps. This this mobile thing is going to be big. And uh, eventually we caught it because we just didn't have resources for. But uh, it was a guy named Ed Kime put it into the plan. Because it's here now, right? The the Windows Phone 7 um, SDK, you can also – it works with, with – 2010 Express or is it 2008 Express? So the Windows Phone team actually built on Express product. So, oh, really? Their yes. own SKU? Yeah, their own SKU. So you don't, ha- if you want to do Windows Phone development, and you just want the developer tools, you don't have to pay anything. Right. It's so, 2010 based. It's 2010 based. Right now, it doesn't, you have to use the RC, but they have, uh, I can just say internally, they have a test version that'll be released soon so that you can install the RTM version and then uh, install their new version to get phone support. Well, in Silverlight 4 development in uh, 2010, is just way light years ahead of even Silverlight 3 in 2008. And, you know, way beyond two and one. I just, I just love it. I love the fact that it feels, it feels to me like VB1, you know, that yeah. first experience of, ah, I have, you know, my code behind and everything just works. Uh, it's just brilliant. There's something about falling in love again as a developer where you're like, oh my, everything just works and this stuff is so cool. And, it, you know, you click build and everything works and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's, it's that small joy. Yeah. Well, it's, I also think we're coming out of a fairly challenging time, right? I mean, for a long time, I thought that 2005 and 20 were the perfect versions. That was what yeah. we were working from. We've built three, three five, three five SP one, and I have no problem with 2008. But I did a lot of building of 20 products with 2008. Sure, it it really was. These were all add-ons to 20. Uh, for an ASP.NET guy, there were sort of questionable benefits. We didn't do a lot of stuff there, but I think we're finally seeing WPF is real. Silverlight is starting to torn that up, and mm-hmm. and even folks are getting more comfortable with WCF now. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do about WF. Something's got to happen. Yeah, well, I, yeah, WCF I think is one of those things where it has that high learning curve yeah. still. They need they need tweaky. Easy, 
Yeah. They like, need wizards. Yeah, they need they need Hello. easy mode. They need easy mode. I remember the first web service they showed, and it was just a method. Hey, you want to add two numbers? You know, we'll build a method called add, and it takes two numbers, and then it returns. And it underneath the covers, you put a, a you know a little attribute, and and boom, that method was a web service. Yeah, you said this is a web method done. Yeah, now I'm dealing ports and channels and interface. The, yeah. There's a learning curve, and, and that I think is one of the things when you go back to. Um, the things that I love about software is when we can make it easy and make it just empower people to build applications easily, right? That, that VB state of mind or that express state of mind. So, you know, that almost leads us to this idea of, uh, are we about to take a, a right turn? You know, the, the other thing that's in 2010 that, that not all, some folks have talked about, but I think is just at the beginning of change is, uh, is parallelism. Is mm-hmm. This is the parallel task library and just recognizing that the underpinnings of the hardware we've been using up until now are changing dramatically. Yeah. And I'm wondering if our tooling is going to be able to take it because, you know, all along in development, even before .NET and certainly in .NET, create thread was a scary thing to do. You know, trying to write your own multi-threaded code. I remember, Mr. Franklin, you doing demos on this. That was hardcore stuff to do. Real asynchronous work, multiple thread stuff. We started having 16 cores and workstations. Like, we've got to go multi-threaded. Yeah, well, and get this. I just, for this road trip, I got a new laptop at Fry's in Las Vegas, and I got the decked out, the most decked out one I could get. It was like two grand. It's got eight logical cores. Nice. So, you know, that's that's just crazy. Yeah. If you ask me. And well, it's only going to, like he said, 16 cores just right around the corner. You know, it's, this is, it goes back to the learning curve, but, um, we look at customers, you know, uh, another thing, um, that our team was looking at, or when we had an express team, cause we ended up kind of dissolving. That's its own story really? over beers. But, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. You can't just drop that bottle well, on us and so, leave it festering there. Um, there, you know, it, it's, express is an interesting thing, right? Because, uh, it ends up being the most... How many people here have any version of Visual Studio Express installed? Okay. So what's that, like half the room or 30% Maybe, of the room? Yeah, 30% of the room? Yeah. 30, so 35. Uh, it turns out Express is the most used developer tool no of kidding. any Visual Studio. So we had like 17 million downloads of Visual Studio Express from 2005 to about 2007 or so. Wow. In fact, you know, everybody's probably familiar with MSDN, the website. Mm-hmm. When we launched uh, msdn.com slash express, it became, outside of the, the homepage, it became the number one destination, higher than BCL, Framework, even higher than the Visual Studio page, which is kind of funny. So so we saw that there was not just developers using it, like if you were a developer, you happen to use both Visual Studio and Visual Studio Express, it was a new kind of customer, people that weren't using Express before. Hmm. Do you think that, you know... Uh, computer programming 101 is a senior in high school. Your homework today is go home and download Visual Studio Express, and that might account for a lot of that, those downloads. Uh, yeah, I'd probably say college, and I tell you why, because I'm going to blow your mind. C was the number one downloaded product. Wow. Yes. So ba- C still exists. Hey, than, all right. More than Microsoft Bob. <laughs> isn't that isn't That's that amazing. in terms of those products? Uh, Visual Basic was a very close to C plus plus, but, but you would you would think like C sharp or yeah, Visual Web but Developer. It's academia, obviously. But yeah, well, that's that's one of the big targets for C plus plus. It was primarily because we could also get stats on a on a per product basis. Well, the way to think about it is name me a more sophisticated free development environment for C plus plus. Yeah, I I can't think of one better, and it, and it didn't even occur to me. 
because I don't think I've ever downloaded that version of, of Express. I've downloaded pretty much every other version, but to develop C++ on the, on Express. You don't, you, you know, the college student is like, okay, I can use VI or Emacs or I can use Visual Studio Express. <laughs> I, I love living in my gooey blanket and having IntelliSense. So then capital Z, capital Z to save, if you will. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret, though, that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight Analytics Framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem. But what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight Analytics Framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at Telerik.com slash Silverlight. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash Telerik. Last year, we did this panel at DevLink uh, on software complexity. Has software development gotten too complex? And we had a panel discussion. How'd that go? Well, it was very interesting. And were, was, were there blows at the end? No, no, no. But uh, a few people, you know, there were some heated words. Let's just say that way. <laughs> people, people had some very interesting perspectives. And some of the people who came from the open source community were railing about, you know, the accessibility of Microsoft tools. Sure. And, and, you know, how, you know, we got to pay all this money for all this stuff and everything. And then somebody just said, what, Express? Did you know the compiler is free? Did you know you can write in Notepad? Cause this is what you're comparing it to, right? Sure. They're comparing the free tools to Visual Studio, which is, you know. I just, yep. yeah, I don't think we've gotten fair traction for just how good Express actually is. Cause it's living in the shadow of full bore studio, but. Obviously, some people know because, like I said, it's the most downloaded product. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. the point I said maybe just sort of walk past that was, don't the product teams freak out when they see those kinds of numbers? Um, so here's here's the way to think about it. And and there was what's the right word? A lot of tension. Uh, in fact, <laughs> should have seen that face. That was priceless. Um, just there's, there's, there's some tension. Yeah, there's a little tension. And the and the express guy says no, so. So what you'd be surprised is, is, um, and I remember like it was maybe 2004 and one of the big things we tried to do. And in fact, Visual Studio Express wasn't free when it originally launched. Really? When I we, had, I don't remember. We, we said it was and we had to get lawyers to make sure our language was exactly right. Cause I, we had to write the FAQ at like 11 PM that night. Wow. And because there was this like hemming and hawing of, are we going to call it free? Is it going to be free? And it was free for a limited time. Ah. Yes. Yes, free for a limited time. And the reason they did that is because they wanted more time to, to make the call of whether it was going to be free and, and they or, couldn't say it was, it was like discount. There's some issues with discounting and, and all this other stuff. So, but it was eventually made free. And what was Scott it? Guthrie was one of the people that was like, we got to make this free. We got to make this free. We got to make this free. Um, he had started a product called Web Metrics, which, or Web Matrix, sorry. Um, that was a, like, 4 meg version of a very simple ASP.NET IDE. Hmm. And, I remember that. Yeah. And, and, um, he was just saying, like, we had taken surveys, and if you so much as price express at a dollar, people are just gonna be like, I'm not paying a dollar for, you know, to have to put in my credit card to buy something, so why are we making it free if we can get that much adoption? And the idea was, we can make 2005 add a bunch of team systems 
system features, features that developers really want, right? right? The team collaboration features, the unit testing, um, source code control. Like I, you think about a, a major software product, not having source control, it's like not having like reverse in a car. Like you're fine until you're not. Right. <laughs> like, so you go down an alley. Yes, ex- exactly. And then it's, then it's really, really awkward. Um, so, so that was kind of the internal tension of can we grow our base, meaning the number of developers? Cause probably one of the biggest problems in this industry is the lack of, of talented developers. This is yeah. the number one thing that, right. y- you know, you hear everybody, how can we, um, uh, you know, I should probably ask Lynn because she, she would know the numbers off the top of her head, but the computer science numbers, uh, uh, enrollments for colleges have been going down from, you know, from 15% at its oh, high yeah. Yeah. to 5 to 3%. Programs are, uh, you know, schools are closing their CS programs because they have, end up with like 12 students. I think that when there was the outsourcing boom and everybody realized that, you know, we're, our, we're getting our lunch eaten, you know, uh, you know, from outsourcing. Um, but something interesting happened. It sort of came back, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think the economic downturn actually sent a lot of people to school. And one of the places they went to school was, uh, for, for ComSci. Cause let's, you know, obviously the folks in this room, you make a pretty good living as a, as a developer. Like it, as jobs go, it's, I think a better job than a lot. I know I'm biased, but yeah, you know, I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, things like mobile development, iPhone app development, you find so people like, that are, are chasing money. Yeah. Or chasing like, that is the new cool thing. I want to be able to build my cool augmented reality app that'll show me what hill I'm on when I'm skiing down. For I example. personally believe Silverlight is, and, and Phone 7 is, is the moneymaker for the next whatever years. I really think that's, that's where it's that, at. Like I said, uh, that's what gets me excited. Yeah, that's the new gold rush, right? iPhone had a gold rush. You know, yeah. there was that, it was in the news for a while there. This guy made the phone fart and made a million dollars. Right. And now, you know, that I think that wave sort of passed with the iPhone. There's lots and lots of apps in the store and so forth. Too many. But we just did this show about at the launch event and the room was full of folks that you could see it in their eyes. They were thinking, this is the new gold rush. You know, I, we haven't got the, we just got the first SDKs. Nobody's got phones yet. We're just doing emulation, but it's the beginning of this phone should be hugely successful. And if we get on early, we could be part of it. Yeah. I mean, everybody that, you know, does Silverlight is like, wow, you know, if I'm just doing like a five screen app, I, can, I have a 40 hour work week. I can just do this. You know, small app make, you know, 5k a year, 10k a year on just this side app. What a, what a nice simple thing rather mm-hmm. than, you know, the 600 page book that <laughs> yeah. is, is pain and you guys probably have experience with. Yeah. No, 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 without a doubt. And, and it's interesting how Silverlight is just sort of spreading that, that Silverlight seems to be the technology that's giving us the three screens that uh, Mr. Ozzy talked about. Yeah. And, um, for those of you who didn't hear it, now there's no plans, but they, they did state that, uh, Silverlight will be supported on Xbox. No plan dates, no plan whatever. But wow, look at that. to me, that was another thing that came out of Mix. And this was, uh, one of the Channel 9 live questions like when can i build a silverlight app for my xbox right. and they said yeah we're we're definitely working on that nothing to announce right now and i was like awesome <laughs> this is so cool oh my god that was the first time you'd heard about it too yeah yeah absolutely that was like rain man what you just did right there that was pretty impressive <laughs> we all have that that moment where it's like you know Ooh, yeah, yeah it's definitely gonna write for the xbox definitely, it, it's, definitely. it's nerd porn right it's like oh my god this is gonna be sexy Turn the lights down low. Well, you know, is... I thought it was going to go the other way. We were going to do X and A on the phone and in order to do X and A on the Xbox and X and well, A. Well, you the... can do that yeah. as well. 
Uh, I, I think, think the satellite's cha- certainly more approachable and accessible than XNA, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. You you think about it two ways. XNA, you're literally drawing everything a second, right? So it's like I don't have these controls. I am taking something and just drawing. It's like GDI programming. Yeah. So a lot of people aren't familiar with that. They're used to I set up a form and I don't need to worry about the redraws every every second. There's no such thing as a game loop that's just basically waiting for stuff. Yeah, that mentality. And, and folks, if you've got any questions, Bob, means throw your hands up. We'll stick the mic in your face, and uh, we can ask Dan a question. Okay, sir, who are you? What do you do? Raymond, I'm the developer. Okay, you got a question for Dan? Yeah. Uh, is the VS2000 finally coming in 64-bit flavor? Yeah, so um, that that's a very, very good question. And, and, you know, anytime a Microsoft speaker says that's a really, really good question, it, it's, it, it's they're like, oh, man, that's not Microsoft that again. speak for... Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things, I think that's something that they're looking at. I think the biggest challenge, um, or, or on the list of priorities, probably one of the biggest ones is I, that I know of is more 64 bit debugging. So right. for people that are, have 64 bit machines that don't want to switch to 32 bit to do edit and continue, that's probably higher on the list. But yeah, they are looking, um, at that, there's a number of challenges with 64-bit. One is the application could get larger, so... Uh, Almost certainly will. Yeah. And slower. And it will be slower. And slower. Yeah. Right? So there's a number of things where they're looking at the trade-offs and where does it make sense and what does that actually buy us? You know, one of the th- conversations... We had a conversation with Rico Mariani, who's one of, who's one of the architects yeah. uh, for Studio. And we brought up exactly that question with the guy who pretty much is the center of that decision. He said... You know, most folks that I talk to who want a 64-bit version of Studio don't actually want a 64-bit version of Studio. What they want is a version of Studio that's really, really fast. Yeah. And he says, the point I got to make to you is if we if we made it in 64-bit, it wouldn't be faster. You're not going to get what you want. So let us instead focus on making it faster. And that was that was sort of his point around it. The the real scenario is if you're really building 64-bit apps. When I think about real 64-bit apps, I think about apps that genuinely want to address more than four gigs around. That's the only reason that you would ever need a 64-bit uh, a bit app. Yeah, like a real 64-bit app. And but a 32-bit app can address more RAM on a 64-bit host than on a 32-bit host. Right. So the real sweet spot for most business applications is a 32-bit app on a 64-bit OS. Yeah, who taught you that, Mr. Frank? And and I think the other the the area where you look at so what are the real scenarios where 64-bit shines as you guys said, it's really sort of the high end where you see them in other products like SQL Server is things like high-end analytics, right? So if you were going to do a number of things and you could imagine something like um a Visual Studio Ultimate where you have a uh, real-time processing of code or a number of analytics or metrics on your code, where that you could be a scenario. Numbers, is that what you're saying? Right, right. So there could be some some specific scenarios in in Ultimate and they're looking at things like, well, does it make sense to do that on a client machine? Is that a team foundation server scenario where since I, my code's already there, and I already have SQL 64-bit, um, shouldn't I be doing that scenario and sort of offload at? And then there's the question of client versus server. So there's a number of things that they are looking for to have where you would need 64-bit capabilities. Can they at least the question is, can they at least install 64-bit... Can they at least install 64-bit... Uh, SQL Express. Um, I don't know the, the answer to that. To be honest, um, but I'm betting no. <laughs> yeah, um, so the so the scenario is you're forced to install 32-bit SQL. I mean, 
Right. Yeah. When you use Studio 2010, and I just did an install, there's just no choice, right? Right. You are going to install the 32-bit version of of SQL Express. Yeah. And it's very it's very sure. hard once that's on there to get it cleaned off and put the 64-bit version of Express on and make sure you're using the right drivers. Like once you go down that path, it's very hard to get back. And I don't I don't know of an answer to that because I just ran across that and, and I and I noticed too because I was installing on my 30 64-bit machine and it was just no choice. Right there wasn't an option there to say I want to run the 64-bit version of Express. I want to run the 32-bit one. It's it's an interesting point, but uh, I and, don't I don't think there's an answer to it. And I mean, the only thing I can I can chime in is one of the things we had looked at was um, uh, what what if we lived in a world where installing Visual Studio was just X copy, right? Like Eclipse. And, and with now the, he's just talking crazy. That's yes. crazy. Could you imagine not sitting through a forty-five minute install? Right. Uh, well, actually, yes, I could. No, I could. no, it's it's theoretically impossible. So, <laughs> um, but I think one of the challenges is um, there's a lot of things that happen in setup. In fact, just to give you a real world example, we always wanted uh, Visual Studio Express to install in five minutes. Like that was our goal. Right. There's a guy named Luke Hoban. I mean, you're starting with a two gigabyte version of Express. He yeah. got it down to, without the framework, 30 megs, which was ridiculously awesome in terms of, of what you could do. I hope he got a Porsche for that. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> no, but he runs F-sharp. If you got, maybe oh, you guys okay. have, have... Same have, thing. Yeah. I think we've um, talked to him before. Yeah, I think you, I think you guys yeah. have. That's why I say it. Um, so that doesn't include the 20 meg .NET framework. And we're talking to the framework team, and it turns out, like, in terms of the install time, it was 70% was the .NET framework. And they said to us, do you really want to do this? And, and we said, what are you talking about? And you have to make these design decisions. It's a, And the design decision is, do you want a 10-minute longer install, or uh, to, to use that example, for the, to install the .NET framework 2.0, mm-hmm. Or, and all your applications will be fast forever. Right. Or do you want all your applications to be slower forever and, and have a really fast install? And, and this is one of those philosophical questions like the prisoner problem, you know, the, the right. dual prisoner. And, and of course, you know, since time is imaginary, I want both. Yeah. Um, but the reality <laughs> is, and they're like, okay, well, theoretically, we could do a JIT and... and but there's just a number of number of hard technical problems, and it makes sense to make uh, and install the .NET framework slower once, mm-hmm. and that way all your applications will always be faster. And I think that's the right choice that we made. And, and people can flame me if that's the wrong choice, but that that's the yeah. that's the choice we make. So there's a number of things. Depends where you, on if you're running on an SSD, then we don't care, right? Well, well, with eight cores. It, it depends on the application, but but people really don't like a, a .NET JIT startup time, right? right you can right. imagine a whether it's a Windows form or WPF app where you're just waiting for that application to load. Do you really want your application to have to wait an extra three seconds or something? A lot of people would say that's that's unacceptable. Yeah, install pain is something that goes away. You only do it once. You run an app repeatedly, you know, and, and that's, that's why we made pain. the choice that said, okay, we're gonna suck it up. People are used to waiting two hours to install. You know, we're down to thirty minutes. It's, <laughs> It's a breeze. They're spoiled. Oh. Well, you know, .NET applications, when .NET 1.0 came out, the whole idea was you could just X copy deploy .NET. And you can still do that. But Studio isn't just managed code, is it? Well, yes. I think one of the biggest challenges is there still is a lot of legacy. So if you mm-hmm. go and, and you'll probably see this on a progress bar, if you're looking closely, the amount of registry keys that we write out is, is pretty insane in the membrane. So there's, there's things that make it not possible. 
Um, but the team had investigated. I think the challenge is, is it really interesting? Would you buy the next version of Visual Studio if it said, you know, install sucks less, you know, or <laughs> it, it's not really something that's going to make you, you know, but it's something that you want them them to improve, but it may not be the sexiest yeah. thing. Give me a choice of these 10 things. I bet you install sucks less comes in last. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of people that said, you know, I want this or I want this improvement to debugging or, mm. you know, you guys should really add this cool refactoring right. or, you know, whatever it happens to be. Yeah. I think that it ends up being a low level feature because it is a one time thing. Yeah. You know, we and in the end, we, we're on our boss's time anyway. We go get coffee. <laughs> what if you're a consultant you get to charge oh, for that yeah, right no, that's it's billing like... hours man you're taking money out of my hands here what are you doing exactly exactly uh we're going to hell <laughs> so uh you think it'll be a studio 2012 or 2013 well i think the 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 stated answer by soma is we're always looking to innovate blah blah, blah. i think you'll actually see <laughs> Blah 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 so blah blah blah. I kinda Dude. did. I kinda I kinda enjoyed my time working at Microsoft and uh and uh I just realized how big a fail that was. This is Did you see that moment I told you about yeah, yeah. before? Saturday is it night. is it warm in here for that's, anybody else? That's Soma Sagar, senior vice president. Oh, I love my job. Yes. No past uh, guest on our show. But I will th- send him his own copy of this. <laughs> <laughs> we're here for you, Dad. We're just saying that. We, what floor are we you, on? We're gonna get you autograph a disc. Funny. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Um, thanks. All right, we'll edit that out just for yeah, you. Yeah. Oh, thank just you. For you. Um, no, but but I think there's. <laughs> hey, as long as we're at any point, anybody want to swear? Yeah. Hey. They're they're twittering like crazy here. Um. <laughs> Uh, but I think what you'll see is one, uh, uh, people tend to like around the 18, 24 month, um, but we'll always have releases in between. So you look at, I think we've really changed the way we do development. Like, um, uh, you know, not everyone downloads CTPs. How many people here actually play with CTPs or, or early releases? They're not very many hands. Wow. Okay. But we try and do that for yeah. certain people, and a lot of people just build a virtual PC so they can play with these new features. It's, or It's far less painful today to experiment with beta software and even CTPs, which I figure are more unstable even than beta builds, uh, and because you can just toss it out. Yeah. Here's an yeah. for you guys. If you want to add another layer of MSDN that you can charge more for. Okay. Then you could put the oh, – you have all these interim builds of everything, OSs, you know, everything that you want to put out. Why don't you just send us on a send us a little hard drive with the with the image already on it, the VPC image already on it, so that you know when it comes out we can we don't have to mess around with it. We can just plug it in and try it. Well, that well, so that that is an idea. Uh, an idea. I think the challenge is uh, there's always a cost, right? right. So there there I are going to be some people that you like charge that. A, yeah, no. a premium for it, right? Um, uh, internally at Microsoft, we tend to send like a bunch of DVDs for like demos and stuff. And the problem it was, it was kind of cost prohibitive and people wouldn't necessarily use them. Right. Um, but the, the idea of having the virtual PC that has everything installed on it is, is I oh, think. No, a- no, just the product. So if you say, I want to, I want to be on the beta of Silverlight for Silverlight 5 or whatever. And I want all the CTPs to come to me automatically on. Hard drives that I can just plug in, you know, little hard drives or flash drives or whatever they are. Okay. Uh, you know, with this, that I can just run, 
Okay, so it's it's like an OS image, not a virtual PC. Right. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, I, well, see, the, the example that I'd say that is for Silverlight, though, that's like five meg download, True. right? Yeah. So yeah, would you want Silverlight? Maybe the OS is yeah, yeah, would be better. Yeah. So so there are some examples, but um, I don't think we've looked into it. I think the the biggest cost of a subscription is the media. Yeah. So people are probably used to like where you get a license, you get one set of media, and everything else is downloadable. Well, the problem is that when you, when you do go to the VPC setup, and you know the open source community does that a fair bit, where you can basically get a f- an image. That is a completely configured set of ex- Eclipse and all of the tooling. Everything's done. It's set up right. You're ready to go. Right. Yeah. The problem when you get in the Microsoft stack with those sorts of things and the operating system is different combinations. Well, it's also like a it's a 12 gig download, right? Like, yeah. Please stand by. It's it's you know, like it's physically hard to move around. It won't fit on in regular DVD for that matter. It's so large. Yeah. So they're just they're tough to maneuver. It's still you know bandwidth isn't that free. Uh, there are ways you could imagine getting around that. Yeah. Like, what if every MSN subscriber had one VPC base image, and then you could do uh, what, differential disks? Differential disks to go on. So differential disks, rather than installing Windows and you know core operating system, you'd have one base image, and then just the stuff that changes is there. Right. So if you ever needed to go back to just your base image, you could you and, always do that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, a virtualization is is something that didn't really exist before, but it, mm-hmm. it's kind of taken off, and it it could yeah. go in very interesting ways. Yeah, very interesting. So, uh, what's next for you? Um, let's see. I go home in 20 hours or so. <laughs> um, you know, I, actually, you guys were talking about Twitter. I just came, you know, we're kind of in, in conference mode, right? right. So, uh, we just season. did the Visual Studio 2010 launch. Uh, um, I was there. You were yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah, I was there. And I just did Chirp, the Twitter conference. Oh. Which was, uh. Oh, isn't that cute? Yeah. Sure. They had a developer That's so conference. Nice. nice. And, and so here's the difference between this and a, and a Microsoft conference. The entire first, it was billed as a developer conference. They didn't show code until day two. Wow. Day one was all, all like slides and stories about, you know, Twitter and, and I'm like, listen, people paid money. They know how cool Twitter is or not cool. Or not cool. <laughs> uh, they paid money. You don't have to tell us or sell us. Like, I really wanted, you know, somebody like a Scott Guthrie to just jump on stage. Okay, let's play with the new API and just like build an app in, in 20 minutes and show me something cool with user streams or, or something. Should have called the conference woof. Oh, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. And, and then a silence filled the room. <laughs> Ask me later. I'll tell you how to make that funny. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, but, and then day two, um, rather than talking about their APIs and and really showing, because I'm used to a Microsoft conference. You go up, somebody has some slides on APIs. Here's how to build your application. Here's, um, or they tend to be pretty interactive. Here, I'm going to show you code in an editor, and we're going to go through, and maybe I'm, you know, doing some copy paste, but I, I am seeing a build. I'm seeing a compile. Right. I see a web page come up. I, I need to see that as a developer. That sort of process of here's how you make this. Here it is running. Yes, yes. And, and you know, it doesn't compile. And the whole audience goes, don't. And they know it's real. Yeah. And, <laughs> and and they smell failure. Yeah. And it's wonderful, this right? blood in the water. We're all excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, you know, they're like changing bets. There's no way this <laughs> so guy's going to get this t-shirt. to work. This is he has 180 warnings. No way this is <laughs> gonna work right and he, you know he comments out some you know some dll or, or adds a reference and everything goes away and you're like damn damn it i just lost 20 <laughs> but but this twitter conference 
no no code, no what? ID. Everything was slides, and it was about the how they scale. Even on the second day, on how they scale. Now, they did have some slides that were XML on their API, but it just seemed like I almost wanted them to attend a developer event so they realized this is what developers want. Right. I realized day one is maybe good for somebody like Scoble. And I'm not like trashing Scoble, but Scoble isn't, you know, writing <laughs> apps for Twitter. He's covering the Twitterverse. No, no, he's he's on BBC and yeah, he's doing the media thing. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but it's very uh, a big difference um, in terms of kind of the expectations of of a developer event. And what I expect to have in a developer event is, you know, somebody writing code in an ID. You guys are going to write code in an ID. Yeah, we're going to do it tonight. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You you have to. Well, Dan, it's been great talking to you. A pleasure, guys. Always a pleasure. And uh, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. <laughs> .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.